You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Hello and welcome to the Grace Church Salado podcast. My name is David Laws and I'm joined again this week by Jason Goings, pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Grace. If this is your first time listening, the whole reason that we have this 10-minute conversation is so that you would come away from it loving God's Word more and understanding God's Word more and obeying God's Word more, trusting His Word more. So this week we're looking at Psalm 115, verses 2 through 3, and it says, Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever He pleases. And Jason, you know, we were talking beforehand about how important it is to understand the context of this verse, and we could say that any week, right? Because it's always important to know the context. But this one in particular, if you don't, not only are you going to miss some of the meaning, but you're actually going to probably get it wrong because it's so influenced by what's happening in this passage. So, you know, maybe can you just get us started by giving us an idea of what's going on in this chapter? Yeah, David, you're so right. When You know, our goal in this podcast is so that we would understand it and obey it and trust it more. And, and so a, a lot of misapplication happens when we don't get the context. And so this passage, verse 2 and 3, must be connected to the very first life verse that we started the year with. And that's uh, verse 1, which says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. So important that um, it, it it's in the context of that statement that we have this. So it's helpful uh, because what's happening here, Israel just like us, would often abandon the Lord and begin to settle for and begin to worship temporary v- idols, you know, those things that are visible, touchable, um, even material-type idols. So this was part of their liturgy in their public worship times, and it would include this passage, and the priest would either lead the people to say it or to sing it, um, beginning with, Not to us, O Lord not to us, but to your name be the glory, you know, coming into that context of our God is in heaven, he does what he pleases, so. Yeah, and it's incredible to think about how prone we are to worship things other than God, if we're left to our own devices, you know, and I even think of that lyric in Come Thou Fount where it says, prone to wonder, you know, Lord, I, I feel it, and, and, you know, we are, we, we just, we're drawn to those things that are tangible, that we can hold, that we can reason, that we can, you know, see with our eyes, and that's what we see in, in verse 2, right? Yeah, so it's it's sort of this question. Why would they say, why would the nation say, where is your God? So if the question is, why would they say it? Well, that's an easy one. They would ask that because they don't see him. They don't know him. They can't hear him. Even though they might really be seeking him, they don't, they're missing him. So it's an easy, easy thing to answer. Why would they ask this? Because they... They don't see what we're seeing. They don't know what we're knowing. So their hearts are far from them. So here we have the nations, but we can also apply that today. Like when non-believers ask us these things, when non-believers or these nations cling to their gods because it's what they know, it's what they see, um, it's what they adore, um, then they turn to us and ask us basically what, what do you worship? Like, why do you love God? Why do you see him? So, um, you know, and in, in all of these little gods that, that we cling to or that non-believers want to cling to or, or, or things that we 
are tempted sometimes, you know, money, power, the quest for power, man-made things, man-made institutions, um, you know, like the perfect home, the perfect family, um, the your favorite team, some scientific discovery, whatever it is, you know. Well, and, you know, I think we often think of idolatry as, you know, the worship of this little golden statue. But really, when you look at it biblically, you know, idolatry is any time that we love something more than God. You know, idolatry is just misplaced worship. You know, it's worshiping anything other than Him. And, you know, when we move forward, you know, the second part of this verse is interesting as well, because it says, our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. So, you know, what do you, what do you see happening here? How is that connected to, to what's going on in this chapter? Yeah, so to answer the question, where is your God, we come with a reply. Um, well, our God, if you're wanting to know where he is, uh, the, the statement of he is in heaven, well, he's over everything. <laughs> he's, he's on top of every single thing that you could think, um, and he does whatever he pleases. And so... I don't know if you've ever felt, Dave, I'm sure you haven't, because because you're that kind of guy that that has that um, imme- demands immediate respect from everybody, right? So, um, <laughs> But I, if you've ever felt that mocking of a non-believer before, um, if you've ever heard anybody say something to you like, well, if your God's so big, if your God's so great, then why does he let you go through this? Or why did he allow this to happen? Um it, it, and sometimes it, even though they're not saying it, it it's kind of coming across like it sure seems like that people who follow Jesus um, aren't doing as well as people who don't follow Jesus. So where's your God now kind of thing? And, and something else, I think you're right in, in nailing that a lot of times that's external. And I think a lot of times it's internal. Like Satan makes that same exact lie. He makes that same doubt and, and tries to implant that in us that what kind of God would dot, 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 or like, how could God dot, dot, dot? And and I think Satan uses that same pressure, that same doubt. Well, he's the author of lies, right? So so whether it's coming indirectly through other people, it's definitely coming from Satan. So you're so right. Like, he's trying to plant that, you know, where is he? Where is he? You don't see him. You don't touch him, you know? So, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, in seasons like this, when there's so much turmoil, external, obvious, in-the-news type of turmoil, you know, whether you're looking at the Middle East or, you know, what's going on in Haiti, you know, these are times when the world finally wants to acknowledge God. You know, oftentimes they're they're just kind of pretending like he's not there. They're, they're ignoring him. But when you see things like this happen, there comes this acknowledgement of him, and it's usually a distrustful acknowledgement of him like well if you say your god is real what kind of god would allow this what kind of god would have these things happen to these people and and so they're pointing this finger at god and and i think ultimately people are trying to make a god that they can easily rationalize like they i think they want a god that they can that would make the same choices they would make that would you know do the same things they would do and so ultimately they want a god that's subservient to themselves. They want a God that uh, is really beneath them. And it reminds me of uh, Isaiah chapter 55, where it says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And what that's doing is it's emphasizing this idea that we can't just make God act the way that we want him to act in any given circumstance. We can't just assume that he is going to do things that make sense to us all the time. And I think that's 
that's kind of paralleling what's going on in this passage here. Yeah, and and that's the temptation. That and I think that's that's what's so neat about this chapter is is it's part of the liturgy. They're they're singing this, they're reciting it, almost preaching to themselves. You know, a we don't have to defend God. We're we're tempted to, uh, even if we're trying to defend them to even ourselves. Like um, the remainder of this chapter is a calling for us to remember God and worship Him, um, even though we can't touch Him. Sometimes we can't see Him. We don't. But but the Psalm is, is a is a sort of this praise. Um, that we worship him and we worship him alone. And so back to your point, uh, you know, we do not have the wisdom of God. His ways are not our ways, but we do have God and his ways are for our good. So that's really what's going on here is this, this, this celebration of truth that I don't need to defend God. They're all people are always going to ask, well, where is he? Where is he? Why isn't he doing this? We're sometimes going to ask that. Well, God's doing what God and God alone can do, and it's going to involve bringing glory to his name, and it's going to involve bringing good to his people. Oh, that's so good. And, you know, when I think of application uh, and how do we take these truths and implant them into our daily life, the first thing that comes to mind, based on what you were saying, is to self-assess. How do we react when circumstances don't readily point us to God? Like, it's you don't look around you, and it's just easy to see God in everything that's happening. And I think the first application um, is to self-assess how— what's going on in our heart in those moments? You know, if our circumstances don't scream that God is good and that God is in control, what is going on in our hearts uh, when, we, when we're in the midst of circumstances like this? Do we find ourselves doubting and becoming bitter or angry at God? If so, that's probably an indicator our theology is off because we're, we're looking at our circumstances to tell us who God is. And the second application that, that comes to mind based on the first part of our conversation, is to identify parts of our life where we are loving something more than God. You know, to to look at how our heart is responding to different things, uh, whether, like you said, you know, whether it's sports, whether it's something that we want, a house renovation, whatever it might be. Uh, sometimes our children, it's easy to, to worship them more than God. And Good things. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be. It's not evil. It, it could be his gifts. Definitely. And I think Satan, it's a much easier route for him to make us love something more than we should, love a good thing more than we should. Uh, and, and so I think just taking time to assess those two things is probably a really good way that we can take this truth and start kind of ingraining it into our daily walk. Yeah. When we think about this passage, we don't want to make it like bullets in the chamber that we fire at people. And like what you're saying, it's it's really a help for us. Um, I remember coming across this text when I was in the trenches at a high school, public high school where I grew up, and it was like I was always being made fun of and, you know, whatever. And, and it's it's just reciting this and just remembering this. Um, a is, like you said, reminder, check yourself. You know, do I also have to be able to hold and see God? Um, and then B, just remember... God's going to do what he does and what he does is good. Um, and he's, I like the answer is where is he? Well, 
he's in heaven and he does, he's bigger than anything we can create. Absolutely. And I think that's a good message uh, to resonate on the end. Well, thank you for listening to the Grace Slato podcast this week. We hope that this discussion spurs you on in your love for Jesus and your love for people. We'll see you next Wednesday for our episode on 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9.